There are three truths from God's word that every devoted follower of Christ should be constantly reminded of. I mean, there's more than that, but today I want to give you three things. And if you will be mindful of these things every day, I know life will be different for you. You came here looking for a change, and here it is. First thing I want you to know is this. God cares about you. God cares about you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all of your care or all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares, you don't have to be full of care. Your life doesn't have to be overwrought with worry, stress, and anxiety. And I love the Amplified Bible. It says the same verse, for he cares about you with deepest affection. Oh, I like that. He cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Woo. Now see, many religious people, they seem to think that God's attitude toward us is one of indifference. That, that he's not particularly interested in our very existence that he doesn't really care because he has more important matters to tend to than our insignificant little problems. That's not true. And that's certainly not what Jesus believed. He said in the book of Matthew chapter 10, and which verse is it? Verse 29, or is it 30 and 31? He said this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, if God takes note of the welfare of little birds, the kind of birds that every little Naga boy shoots with his slingshot, then certainly he has his eyes on you. You might say, I'm just one little person. I'm just a little person in this great big world and nobody even knows my name. That's not true. There's a God in heaven who knows your name. And if his eye is on the sparrow, I promise you, his eye is on you. The Passion Translation says this, your father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. I think you need to think about that. Your father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. So that means you can come to God, we can come to God with even our smallest concerns. See, some people think we can only pray about big things. You know, we can pray at a wedding, and then we'll pray for you at your funeral. And that's about it. No, no, no. You, you can pray about even the smallest things because he's concerned about those things. I have heard 
uh, not so much uh, here in Nagaland, but, but I have heard people in America say this. Of course, there's a lot of crazy people in America, I know that. I'm not one of them, but I know some. I've heard people say this, Christians say, well, <coughs> I'm not going to pray for a parking place. That would demean the significance of prayer. No, it won't. It just means you're going to drive around for an hour trying to find a place to park. That's what it means. You don't, you don't, you don't magnify the importance of prayer by not praying. What you are doing is you're forfeiting the help that you need in your daily life by not praying. You have not because you ask not. Can somebody say amen? Notice this scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Here's a good verse for somebody to grab a hold of today. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow, that includes about 89% of everybody in this room. Look at your neighbor and say, he might be talking about you. I know some of you didn't turn, you're too, you're too worried. What will that person say if I say that? <laughs> Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Somebody say everything. By prayer and supplication. Not supper, supplication. That simply means, you know, a petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So notice in this verse, it's very obvious, two words, anything and everything anything and everything anything that you are tempted to worry about is something you should pray about so you don't know what to pray about there you go some people say well i'm not really worried as you see them chew their fingernail right to the bone i'm not worried and yet they're so distressed so stressed out they can't even hear what i'm saying right now Anything that you're worried about. Are you worried about your future? Are you worried about your children? Are you worried about your finances? Again, that's another 89%. What are you worried about? That's what you should be praying about. Worry is the byproduct of a mind struggling to solve its own problems with human strength. Prayer releases the ability of God. Prayer gives God access to intervene on your behalf. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When you know that God cares about you and wants to be involved in your life, even in the smallest details, he said, then you can place that heavy load that you have been carrying, you can place that heavy load squarely on his shoulders and he will sustain you because he's the great burden bearer. Come on, some people are like weighed down, like all of the cares of the world are on their shoulder. Just, just like, just can barely manage. Just, I'm carrying this heavy load. And they, and they think, here's the ironic thing is, they think that by doing that, they're very spiritual. You see, some people are, oh, the concerns for everybody in the church, the concerns for my family, the concerns for everybody in Nagaland and the world. Oh, I'm, let me help you. You are not the burden bearer. His name is Jesus. You are the burden caster. You are the care caster. Hallelujah. There's nothing spiritual about being depressed. Am I, uh, come on, some of you look like a photograph. Are you here? Hello, I'm talking to you. Amen. 
Do not be anxious about anything. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. However, even though God sees all you're going through, he still requires you to bring your petition to him. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. See, God respects your space. And for that reason, he will not intrude into your affairs. He may knock, but he will not bust the door down. He's waiting for you to call. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things. Well, if you don't call, he's not going to answer. He said, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Hallelujah. And I love this verse again, going back to the Amplified Bible. God cares about us with deepest affection. Whoo. In other words, the reason he watches over us so carefully is because he loves us so deeply. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Well, some people on the airlines do that, but not otherwise, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Read that again. Can a woman forget her nursing child or, or infant that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Our Heavenly Father is not guilty of child neglect. Are you listening to me? Amen. So when I was an infant, my mother, holding me in her arms, fell down a flight of stairs. She was visiting her mother, my grandmother, and it was, a, it was a steep iron staircase, kind of like the one we have in the back of our office where Brother Tempsu lives up there in that little nest up there that, you know. <laughs> I don't like going up there. Maybe it's because of what happened to me when I was an infant. I don't know. I don't like going up there because it's really steep and it just looks like, you know, one slip and you're a goner. And that's what happened to my mother. She wasn't in Tim Sue's office. She was visiting my grandmother and she, she slipped and she fell all the way down. But she never let go of me. She held me in a tight grip. And she hit the ground bruised and battered. But I was intact and unharmed. That's what God's talking about. Even if you fall, he's not going to let go of you. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're listening. I said, even if you fall, even if you fall and it's really spectacular in the way you went down, he's still not going to let go of you. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Again, another verse that I love is Hebrews 13, 5. From the Amplified Bible, it says, I will never under any circumstances desert you nor give you up nor leave you without support nor will I in any degree leave you helpless I feel so helpless you may feel that way but you are not without help nor will I in any degree leave you helpless nor will I forsake you 
or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. You may let go of him, but he will never let go of you. Listening to me? Hallelujah. Again, this comes to my mind, but when I was a, a little boy, I, I don't know, I suppose I was maybe four or five. I, I, I don't remember, of course, but I was playing uh, in the backyard or like the, the, the compound of our house and uh, there was like a little sandbox, you know, a little, little air with just some sand and I was just there by myself playing and our neighbors had this psychopath dog, this demon-possessed dog, the dog from the mad dog of the Gadarenes. He was, and he saw me and came toward me with his fangs bared. The way like some of you look when it's time to eat. It was kind of like, and he was coming toward me intending to do me some harm. I'm just a little tyke by myself. But in the house, in the kitchen, washing the dishes, my mother saw that through the window. And she yelled so loudly that that wicked dog got scared and ran away. Hey! And I think that's what God is like. That's God's attitude. Hallelujah. He sees the devil coming. He sees the, 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 the enemy trying. Hey! But somehow, for some reason, many Christians imagine that God's not particularly concerned if, you know, tragedy strikes you. I guess he's busy counting the stars or something like that or talking to the angels. He don't, he don't have time for you. And even if he did, he lost your cell number. He unfriended you last Sunday. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. Psalm 3 verse 3 says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Maybe if you knew that he was protecting you, you would lift up your head. Amen. However, I want to say this. God requires your cooperation. A verse that we often refer to is James 4, 7. Do you know this verse? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice, resist the devil and he, the devil, will flee from you. Not the pastor, not some well-known evangelist, not your mother, you. You resist and the devil will flee from you. You see, we have authority that many Christians don't realize. We have authority over the enemy. But this God-given authority is connected to God's ability. When you issue the order, the hand of God moves the enemy out of the picture. You speak in faith. God's power does the work. Hallelujah. Amen. But of course, if you do not resist, he won't flee. So that's something that you and I, we must do. So first, you need to know that God cares about you. Secondly, know that God will provide for you. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This, this is a good, happy time. I said, know this, 
that God will provide for you. You know, if you believed that, you wouldn't have that ugly look on your face. You would be smiling. I know you're trying your best. God bless you. I said, if you, if you really believe that, you, you would, I'm sure you would be a little bit more cheerful. Is that what cheerful looks like? Okay, praise the Lord. I guess so. David said it best in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The New English translation says, I lack nothing. Wow. The CEV, Contemporary English Version, says, I will never be in need. I will never be in need. I will always be provided for. I will always have all that I require and more than enough. Hallelujah. Why? Because shepherds take care of their flocks. They guide and they guard. In fact, in verse 2 of Psalm 23, he says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you realize that, that uh, sheep don't eat fried rice? Or pork in bamboo shoot? They eat grass, right? So he takes me to places of plenty. He leads me to places of prosperity and provision. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. If you will follow the Spirit of God, you will not be in need. If you will follow the Spirit of God, you will not be in need. In Isaiah 48, verse 17, it says, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit. Not teaches you to be poor, you already know that. Teaches you to profit. But that means you have to be teachable. Who leads you in the way you should go. But that means you have to be leadable. He's not going to pull you. He's, he's going to go before you. He's going to show you, but you've got, to, you've got to follow. So when we have a financial need, many Christians, when we have a financial need, we tend to think of money being put into our hand. But we should think of direction being put into our heart. He will lead you to that place of prosperity. It doesn't have to be necessarily a geographical place, but he will direct you the, cor the course correction that you need to make, the, 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 the steps that you need to follow. He'll bring you right into a place of provision and plenty. He's a God of increase. He's not a God of lack. He's not a poverty God. As I often say, he's El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. He's not El Chipo, the barely get along God. Amen. Hallelujah. In fact, Proverbs 10.22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich or makes one rich. Some Christians will say, Brother John, it's not God's will for his people to be rich. Really? 
Is it God's will for his people to be blessed? Do you know anybody who would say, it's not God's will for us to be blessed. What Bible are you reading? You must have your own translation because that's not what my Bible says. Well, yes, he wants us to be blessed. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. But that's of the devil. It doesn't say the blessing of the devil. It says the blessing of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. In other words, it's not what you have. It's how you got it. Some people have a lot of money. And maybe it was the blessing of the devil, but, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's righteous, something that's honest, something where you can sleep peacefully at night. Amen. Amen. Now, what was the secret to Abraham's success? Well, it's interesting. Abraham's servant explained to the family of Rebekah in Genesis 24:35. He said, the Lord has greatly blessed my master. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. And he has become great. You know, God can bless you to an extent that you'll become great. And I believe that would refer to many areas of your life. When I was, you know, first saved, I was very, you know, not so great. Now I'm great. Some of you are catching up. Let's move on. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, rupees and dollars, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. I don't really want any camels or donkeys, but I get the idea that he will provide. Amen. Now, if God hates the rich, as some people would lead us to believe, Why did he make Abraham rich? It's a sin to have riches. Then why did he give riches to Abraham? Because it's not a sin. Amen. Oh, but Brother John, that's the Old Testament. We're living in the New Testament. Noya Testament. The New Testament. Well, you know, in the New Testament, we find this verse. Galatians 3, verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that the New Testament? I said, isn't that the New Testament? Was Abraham blessed? Well, the the servant said, the Lord has greatly blessed my servant. Greatly blessed, brother, my master. Hallelujah. So if we are blessed along with Abraham... Wouldn't we be blessed in the same way as Abraham? Huh? Is anybody out there today? Hallelujah. Well, Brother John, if that's true, why are so many Christians struggling financially? We'll go back to that verse again. So then those who are of faith, not those who are of doubt... Many Christians have faith for forgiveness, but no faith for finances. Because, you know, they think, they think, they think well, money's a curse. Oh, money's a curse. Well, give that curse to me. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. No, 
No, that's not to say that money is the most important thing in life. And I don't think that should just always be our focus in life. Don't, don't get me wrong. We should not become so money-minded. That's all we can think about. I, I say this sometimes. I was with a Christian friend of mine, and he had his cell phone, and he got a call while I was with him. And the ringtone was, money, 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 money. I don't know, I just, I just thought that was interesting. You know, why would you make that your ringtone? You know, wouldn't it be better to be Jesus, 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 Jesus? But God will increase you for covenant reasons, not covetous reasons. Let, let money be the servant and you the master, not the other way around. Amen. Then again, David said, are you still here today? Some of you have gone. Come back inside. Come back inside. It might be raining outside. Come back inside. David said in Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. In other words, in all my experience with God, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. In other words, bereft, on their own, rejected by God, without means of support, just struggling, beggars. And I've never seen their children beggars either. Amen. Amen. However, know this. That's not to say there won't ever be any lean times there will be but he will see you through them see he'll see you through it that's not to say there won't be any challenges because there will be there will be but he'll make a way when there seems to be no way hallelujah that's not to say there won't ever be any challenges because because there will be hallelujah so when i was first married i didn't have any money I didn't tell her I didn't have any money. She assumed I had loads. <laughs> and, and at our wedding, it's not, it, we didn't get married in Nagaland, we got married in America, and at our wedding, we didn't get these huge gifts, you know, like maybe some people do. We just got a few little things, okay, fine. And, and, and we stayed in a rented flat. It was actually nice, but, and, and I worked, but things were tight. Money was tight. Uh, we went to a scratch and dent store to buy a used kitchen table. And the leg, it only had three legs. It did, well, the one leg was on top and the other three were attached. Just had like, so when you, you know, it would kind of like go like this, you know, I, I screwed that leg back on, but every now and then it would pop off, you know, and you, so your, your bowl of cereal would go into your lap, things like that. And then I, I got an old sofa from my mother's attic, you know, it was dusty, they had put it up there for storage, and so I, I took that. And then from my late aunt's house, I, we got a few little kitchen items, you know. So I mean, it, things were lean. And, um, one day while I was working my commission-only sales job, I was at, at my workplace, Jeppy was in the flat, and suddenly my grandmother 
the same one with the flight of stairs. My grandmother appeared at the front door, unannounced, unexpected. She just showed up, which she never did that. So Jeppy, you know, of course, let her in. And my grandmother went straight to the kitchen. Didn't even, I don't even know if she said hello or whatever. She went straight to the kitchen. And she went to the pantry, you know, the storage area. And she started opening all of the kitchen cabinets, every one of them. And they were basically bare. And then she said to Jeppy, aha, just what I thought. And then she said to Jeppy, come with me. And, 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 and Jeppy followed her, got in her car. She had this old car, this, you know, and she drove like super slow, like a little turtle, a tortoise. So people behind you are screaming and blowing the horn. But, you know, anyway, you got there eventually. <laughs> and, and, and she took Jeppy to the grocery store, big supermarket grocery store, and, and, and came back and filled up that pantry, filled it up with food, and then left. Hallelujah. Amen. My grandmother was a widowed woman living on a small pension, you see. But God used her. It's not always the well-healed that God chooses. Sometimes, as with the case of Elijah and the widow at Seraphath, he chooses someone that you would never expect. but he will provide. I said he will provide. Let's look at another verse. Genesis 22 verse 14 says this. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That phrase the Lord will provide, in Hebrew, of course, is, we might say it this way in English, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Which literally means the Lord will see to it. He'll see to it. He'll take care of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But I want to say this to you. If you look at that verse again carefully, you'll realize it doesn't say Abraham named God Jehovah Jireh. He named that place Jehovah Jireh. There is a place of provision. And you've got to go there. There is a place of prosperity. You've got to find it. You've got to go there. And I'm not talking about a geographical place like, oh, yeah, let's all go to Delhi or something like that. I'm talking about spiritually a place where God wants you to be. Well, what place was that? Well, if you read the whole chapter, it was the place where God instructed Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. It was a place of testing. The Bible says God tested him. And it was a place of obedience because without hesitation, Abraham offered up his son. And God stopped Abraham at the last minute and said, because you have done this. It's very interesting. God said, I swear by myself that I will bless you. 
And the writer of Hebrews tells us that most people, they say, I swear by God that this is true, or I swear by God's name that what I'm telling you is accurate, meaning like if I'm lying, may God judge me. But God couldn't swear by someone greater than himself, so he swore by himself. If I don't fulfill this promise, may I, just, may I destroy myself. I swear by myself, I will bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because you offered up your son, you were willing to offer up your son, I will offer up my son instead. Where? The same mountain. It's the same place where Jesus was crucified thousands of years later. There was a place of provision. That's the place where you need to go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Let's move on. Thirdly, thirdly, we said first, know that God cares about you. Secondly, God will provide for you. Thirdly, know that God has a plan and a place for you. Know that God has a plan and a place for you. I love this scripture as well. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, because you're a believer, the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. A new man on the inside. And this is the work of God. The workmanship of God. Now the fact that we are not saved by good works has been so ingrained in many Christians that whenever the word works is mentioned, they close their ears. They, they, they think that's, that's a bad word. There's nothing wrong with works when you have the works in the right place. Salvation first, then comes the works. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, God's word translation says that we should be people who are enthusiastic about doing good things. Enthusiastic about doing good things or doing good works. Amen. Those who truly know the Lord want to get involved in kingdom business. I'll say that again, give you time to process it. Those who truly know the Lord want to be involved in kingdom business in some way. Every child of God has a desire deep in his spirit to see the gospel advance. That's true. There's just something in you. Hallelujah. Now, many people misinterpret that stirring in their hearts. Like I said, every, every Christian has something inside him that says, I need to do something. I need to work for God's kingdom. I, I need to do something for the cause of Christ. But some people misinterpret that. Just because you long to do something for the Lord, that doesn't necessarily mean you're called to the full-time ministry. Most Christians are called to serve in their local church. 
In fact, if you won't serve in the local church, I doubt very seriously that God will ever promote you to the full-time ministry. I, I, I heard a funny joke. You want to hear a joke? You ready? How are you ready for a good joke? Okay, there was this, this man who said he's called to pastor, right? But he doesn't go to church. cracks me up every time. It's like the pilot who's afraid to fly. That's it. I'm being sarcastic, of course, but see, you know, this, is the, this is the first place. While, while, oh, God's called me to pastor. Well, if you haven't been a faithful church member, what kind of members do you think you'll have in your church? None of my church members are faithful. Maybe you're reaping what you've sown for the last two decades. Just saying, maybe not. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, he's getting personal now. He's getting very personal. <laughs> Hallelujah. So years ago, I was invited to preach in one small church uh, in my own home state of Virginia, which is, of course, God's country. And uh, my wife and I went, and, and that Saturday night, I'm going to preach Sunday morning, but that Saturday night, the, they invited us to have dinner. And, and there was like several couples, three or four couples, and they were, they were like the leaders, the elders of that church. And I realized that they, they, they wanted to know if they didn't have a pastor. They didn't have a, their pastor had left some years ago. And I think they've been through several pastors. And they wanted to know if I would be the pastor of their church. And I told them no. That, that, that God has called me to such places as this, and that, that's not my calling. So they said, okay. So I preached that Sunday morning. But before I uh, preached at my, in the main service, they had, a, they had a um, Sunday school, adult Sunday school class in the sanctuary, small little building. And, and the man that, that taught the class, uh, we also... Um, I can't remember if we stayed with him, but we certainly, maybe we stayed with him. He was a very kind-hearted man, Dave Kulkendorfer. Very kind-hearted man, loved God, loved the Lord. And so I said to, to Brother Dave, I said, well, maybe you should pastor the church. See, maybe you should pastor the church. And he said to me, no, John, I'm a businessman. I know that's my place. And, I'm, and I believe God is blessing me and will bless me and I can help, I can help finance the church and help finance the work of God. And I, I will serve, and he, and he did, and I will serve in whatever capacity the church wants me to serve, but I'm not called to pastor the church. And he was right. Sometime later, God brought the right man to that church and the thing flourished and it grew by leaps and bounds, and, and today it's, it's, a, it's probably the largest church in that whole region, and they're in the process of, of building a new facility. They already had this large facility, building another one, and it's just amazing to see what God did in that place, and I think you could say a lot of credit goes to Brother Dave, because he wasn't moved by ambition. He was led by the Lord, and he knew, I'm not the one to do this. I'm not called to do this. I'll be in the background. I'll serve. I'll help. I'll give. And he was right. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Some people say 
To see a need is to have a call. I disagree. I totally disagree. You may be intruding into another man's ministry. All the time, now not these days, no, but, but, but it used to be all the time people would say to me, Brother John, why don't you start an English medium school? All the time, everybody I met would say that to me. And I tell them the same thing that Brother Dave said, God didn't call me to do that. That's, that's, not, that's not my ministry, it's not in my heart. God didn't equip me to do that. And see, there's other people, some of whom are here now, God did call them to do that. And I don't want to interfere with them. I don't want to, like, compete with them. I'm gonna, if I do what God called me to do, and you do what God called you to do, it'll all harmonize because God's not trying to create division in the body. And just because I don't necessarily meet with someone every day doesn't mean that we're not in fellowship. My, my toes and my nose never meet. But that doesn't mean they hate each other. It's just the way it is. Amen. Amen. We need to do the works, as Ephesians 2.10 said earlier, we need to do the works which God prepared beforehand for us, not just any works. Are you listening to me? The Amplified Bible, the classic version says this, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. See, we should be zealous of good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. But what good works? Just any good works? No. Taking paths which he, which God prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. That's a great verse. We're not to go our own way. We are to take the path which God preordained for us. It's not a matter of choosing what appeals to you, but discovering what God prepared for you. Let me say that again. It's not a matter of choosing what appeals to you. Oh, I'd like to do that. That's not the question. It's what God has prepared for you to do. Can you get an amen? And a lot of times, the path that God has prepared for you does not appeal to you in the natural. In fact, I can guarantee it, if you obey God, there's going to be some things that God asks you to do and your flesh is going to say, no, no, please, God, please, please. And some people just run off, you know, and we call them Jonah. <laughs> in the middle of the fish, they say, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey God. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. What is God's place for me? I'm almost done. I can see that worried look on all those faces. It's, it's really scary. It takes a lot of courage to do this. Even my wife is just looking down. Okay. <laughs> what is God's place for me? Here's a scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. It says, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. When you know what you are, then you'll know what to do. When you know what you are, then you'll know what to do. See, each part of the human body has a specific and unique 
function. Your body parts are not interchangeable. I lost my nose. Well, put a toe there. No, it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> toes will only be toes. Nose will only be nose. Whatever you are, that's what you are. God put you in the body as he decided. I'd like to be a nose. But if you're not a nose, forget about it. Amen. Amen. God made you for his purposes. And he has gifted you and given you specific, a specific set of abilities and qualities that are uniquely fitted for your assignment. God didn't make you and then dream up a plan for you. He had the plan before you were conceived and he made you to fulfill that plan. He brought you into his kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Amen. Sometimes we envy the talents that others have. We see somebody else and say, ah, I wish I could do that like he does. I, I wish I could sing like these people do. I wish I could whatever, teach like he does or something like that. Listen, if you didn't get it, you don't need it. I said, if you didn't get it, you don't need it. God gave you what you need to run your race. Stop trying to run the other fellow's race. Stay in your lane. And you'll be happy. And you'll know, I was created for this. I was born for this. Ooh, somebody said, the most important two days in your life are this, the day you're born and the day you find out why. And nobody is here just to take up space. Amen. Amen. And whatever God put in you, when you give yourself in service to him, those gifts will arise to the surface. See, you don't even know they're in you until you obediently serve God. When I was in the eighth grade or the eighth standard, I think about that time. Um, my parents shifted me to a Christian school. I was in a government school before. And in our Christian school, uh, our first class began with a, a time of devotions. And the students took turns in our classroom uh, leading the devotions, usually for five minutes. And, and most of them, there was a little devotional book that the teacher had. So most of them would just read like the next chapter, just like, you know, just a little thing like that. So we, we all had to do this and eventually it was my turn. And, and I don't know why, but I didn't, I didn't want to read from the devotional book. So I, I prepared my own message and I studied the whole night you know, or much of the night. And I used different translations of the Bible and I quoted from other books. I'm in the, I'm in the eighth standard. And, 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 and my, my topic was on end times. I mean, I'm in the eighth standard. What do I know about end times, right? <laughs> and, and, and I talked about how is the Soviet Union, you know, the Antichrist and things like that, you know. And, and, and I had all these different translations I read. And when I got through with my devotional, the bell rang. The devotional time wasn't over. The whole class period was over. And, and some of the students made fun of me. They kind of teased me and they said, he's the preacher. But I overheard my teacher say to those other students, he has a gift. Well, I didn't know I had a gift. I mean, you know, 
But you know, what God put in you, when you give yourself in service to the Lord, that will rise up. See, many times we have asked some to serve. And often the initial response, not always, but often the initial response is, I can't. I can't do that. I'm not able. But when they obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when they step out in faith, they find there's grace there. Maybe you have something in your heart just saying, like, we need to win the loss. We just need to, people need to come to Christ. Well, why don't you join, for example, our evangelism team? You might think, oh, I can't do that. Oh, and me? Oh, no. But when they step out, very often, I think some of you will agree with me, the words come to you. You instinctively know, not this house, this house, and things like that. And people's hearts are open. People get saved and people get healed. Am, am I right? Am I right? And because you obeyed. See, what's the point of having a gift if it's never used? Are you going to just wrap it up in a handkerchief and say, here it is, Lord, just like you gave it to me? No. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When you find your grace, you have found your place. Amen. So I would tell you again, God cares about you. God will provide for you. And God has a place and a plan for you. Amen. Would you bow your head with me this wonderful morning?